SEP Fanfic Readings presents Thanks to the Photographs by Unstable Hufflepuff Chapter 17 She Had Three Dreams It was strange. She should be crying. That would be the normal response at a time like this. But no. All she felt was a cold understanding. An understanding that the life she'd always pictured for herself, the life that had been slowly circling the drain for the past few months, had finally vanished from sight. Hermione had always been ambitious. She believed that with enough hard work and perseverance, she could accomplish anything she set her mind to. And that theory had proved right, time and time again. At the age of fourteen, she knew she wanted to work for the Ministry of Magic, fighting for equal rights among all magical creatures. At fifteen, she dreamt of one day becoming the Minister for Magic. When she reached sixteen, she knew that she wanted Ron by her side for all of it. Here she was, at twenty-two years of age, with everything she'd ever wanted within reach. She was head of the Beast Division, in the Department for the Control and Regulation of Magical Creatures. Friendly co-workers and wizened politicians alike made sly comments about voting for her if she ever decided to run for minister. She and Ron shared a flat of their own, and they had been together for four happy years. There was just one problem. It turned out she couldn't have all of her dreams at once. Ron wanted to get married— she was perfectly willing. It was the next step for them, after all. It made sense. But Ron also wanted her to work less. He wanted her to be home fixing supper when he got back at the end of the day, just like his mother had done. He wanted her to have his children and look after them in his stead. He wanted to be more important than her other dreams. She didn't know if he was. They fought. They argued. They debated. And she was sick of it. But she loved him. She should love him more than her other dreams, shouldn't she? Ginny took off an entire season when she got pregnant with James. Even now that she was back on the pitch, she was home more often than not to look after him. Hermione should be willing to do that, too, right? So perhaps she was willing to compromise. Perhaps she could put the other dreams on hold, at least for now, if that would make Ron happy. If it would stop the fighting and the arguing and the debating. Hard work and perseverance would get her what she wanted. But now Lavender was standing in their doorway, teary-eyed and telling her how sorry she was, and she had her hands resting on her still flat stomach, and the words hadn't even left her mouth, and somehow Hermione knew. The dreams she'd held nearest her heart were gone, and she disapparated without a word. She didn't shed a tear as she told Harry and Ginny what had happened. She brushed off their comforting touches, shook her head at their declarations of war, and refused to look at the infant squeezing a rubber duck on the floor between them until the tiny toy squeaked. She didn't want to be alone with her thoughts, and she most certainly didn't want to be around a baby, even if he was her godson. Ginny lent her a dress, she did her hair and makeup, and they stepped out for the night, leaving just as the rush of the flu sounded, followed by Harry shouting. Hermione forced herself not to think about the engagement ring she never got to put on. She drank more than she ever had in her life. Ginny kept shooting her concerned looks, but Hermione resolutely ignored her. She didn't want to think. She wanted her brain to just stop. She would mourn the loss of her favorite dream tomorrow, and then the next day she would refocus her efforts toward the others. The man looking at her was profoundly attractive. He offered to buy her a drink, and she wondered if this was how it happened. If this was what Ron had done when he slept with Lavender. She nodded her head and smiled. "'Hermione, are you sure about this?' Ginny asked her when she said the man had invited her back to his place, raising her voice to be heard over the music. "'You've had a lot to drink. You hardly know him.' "'I need this, Ginny,' 
Hermione said. Ginny seemed to understand. The man held her up as they exited the club. He was laughing, his grip tight around her waist, and again she wondered if this was what had happened. Did Ron follow Lavender back to her place? Did they rent a room above the three broomsticks or the leaky cauldron? Did people that knew them both look the other way, silently laughing at Hermione for being so foolish and trusting, thinking she could accomplish all her dreams? Other people had rarely believed in her dreams anyway. The hotel the man was staying at was beautiful. Someone held the door open for them. There was a giant crystal chandelier in the lobby. He had a lavishly decorated suite that overlooked the pool, and she barely got a glance at it before his lips were on hers, and he was pressing her up against the window. She forgot about Ron and Lavender for just a moment, and it felt good. He practically tore at her clothes in his haste to get them off, and Ron had never been this rough with her, and it felt good. She felt wanted, desired, and Ron could kiss her arse. She was spun around, rather forcefully, and bent slightly, her palms against the glass, and he was sliding into her, and his breath came out as pants as she was moaning, and the sound of skin slapping against skin filled the room, and it all felt so good. Her eyes were closed, and her mouth open in pleasure. His hand was on her clit, and her breasts were pressed against the cool glass of the window, and she cried out when she came. She hardly remembered making it to the bed, but she was tangled up in the sheets when the sun rose the next morning. She almost couldn't believe what she'd done. Harry was awake at the kitchen table when she returned to Grimmauld Place. He looked like he'd been up all night. "'Ron came by while you were gone,' he said, his eyes darting all over her person as though checking for injuries. "'He was looking for you.' "'And?' "'He's sorry. Knows he fucked up, but that doesn't change anything.' It was then that Hermione realized Harry's knuckles were bruised. "'There was a night, about a month ago,' he said, you two had a row, and he thought you split up. He ran into Lavender at the Three Broomsticks, and, well, I'm sure you know the rest. He feels awful, Hermione, but he trailed off, looking rather sad. You have a habit of letting him get away with things he shouldn't. He continued after a pause. Please don't let him get away with this, too. He's my best mate, yeah, but so are you. And you don't deserve this. That was around the time that James started crying, and Hermione's headache kicked in, and she just couldn't be there any more. Harry offered to make her coffee, or to get her pepper-up potion, but she needed to get out. She needed to get away from her thoughts. She borrowed more clothes from Ginny, and walked to a small café nearby. It was nearing noon on Sunday, and church had just gotten out, so the place was full of families and elderly folk. Most of them were gossiping about something in the paper. Some were shielding it from their children's curious eyes. Hermione was waiting by the counter for her cappuccino when they slowly began to notice her. One by one, it felt like. Their eyes fell upon her, and the whispers grew, and they were pointing at her, and they looked disgusted, scandalized, some even horrified by her presence. She didn't understand. The barista, a young girl with a ponytail, seemed to sense her confusion, and slid the morning paper across the counter to her, along with her drink. There, on the front page, was Hermione, pushed up against the glass, her mouth open in a moan, the man biting down on her neck from behind, and two thin rectangles of black ink covering her breast and where his hand had disappeared between her legs. Judging by the angle, it had been taken from the pool deck. Is that her, you reckon? Sure does look like it. Lord only knows what was going through her head. Her poor, poor parents. What must they think? She's going to hell, that one. Mark my words. I hope she's ashamed of herself. 
Hermione shed her first tear when she reached the sidewalk outside. By the time she was stepping through the door at Grimmauld Place, she was sobbing hysterically. Ginny was soothing a still cranky James, and she and Harry rushed over, asking what was wrong, and she couldn't speak. She simply held up the paper. Liam Anderson, son of the American ambassador Anthony Anderson, was tailed by the paparazzi on his night out on the town, having fled the gala he was meant to be attending after getting into a very public argument with his father. He was followed all the way back to his hotel, and another guest caught sight of him from the pool. The video they took on their mobile phone was posted online, and it had been frozen at just the right spot to capture the picture Harry and Ginny were now gaping at in horror. "'Hermione, it's going to be okay, all right?' Harry said. "'This is going to blow over. It always does.' "'We'll just avoid the muggle world for a bit,' said Ginny. "'No big deal.' It had taken a week. Hermione went as far as to flew directly to the Ministry for work each day to avoid being seen in public. Harry refused to let Ron in the house, and Hermione hid from him at work. Whenever he managed to find her, Harry was always there in time to drag him away. None of them informed the rest of the family what had happened. The Weasleys were the only family Hermione had left, and she wasn't ready to face the fallout of what Ron had done. She wasn't ready to be coddled by Molly, or hear her give Ron an earful. All she wanted was to focus on her other two dreams. She was just glad that the Weasleys didn't read the Muggle news. When she showed up for work that fateful Tuesday morning, however, she learned that some people in the wizarding world did, in fact, read the news in the Muggle one. It turned out that there were more photographs— She'd been captured dancing with the man, Liam Anderson, while still at the club, chatting with him over drinks, stumbling out onto the sidewalk, and even getting out of the cab at his hotel. There was an entire spread in the Daily Prophet. The word mudblood could be seen on her forearm in the shot taken from the deck of the pool. There was no mistaking her. Ron was furious, she'd been told, but Harry kept him away. It turned out that Molly was the one they should have locked out. "'We welcomed you into the family. "'We made you one of our own, and look what you've done. "'You've taken my poor boy's heart and stomped all over it, Hermione. "'What were you thinking? "'You should be ashamed of yourself. "'Arthur and I had such high hopes for you, "'and now you've gone and turned yourself into a harlot. "'Or has that always been the case? "'Have there been more men that my son doesn't know about?' "'Arthur had just shaken his head in disappointment. "'You were supposed to be the smart one.' "'Fleur had said, with a contemptuous look. "'They took you in, Hermione, "'and you have done nothing but disrespect them.' "'And to think, I used to admire you,' "'Percy's wife, Audrey, had said in disgust. "'Bill, Charlie, and Percy had just glared in silence, "'and Hermione was told that she was no longer welcome at the burrow. "'No one listened to Harry and Ginny's defense of her, "'seeing as, even if Lavender was pregnant,' Hermione and Ron had not yet split up. Ron had been confused, poor boy. He tended to have trouble understanding things when Hermione spoke too quickly for anyone to comprehend. He made a mistake, yes, but Hermione was the one that ruined what they had. It was her fault. She didn't realize that Ron hadn't truly broken her heart until that had. For the next three weeks, Hermione couldn't go anywhere without being reminded of her mistake. She was catcalled and propositioned and ridiculed and shouted at, Someone even threw food at her from across the atrium. Fans, those who were grateful for Ron's part in the war, and once for her own, sent her howlers. "'You broke his heart, you filthy tramp! I always knew you were no good for him! You've always been a slag, sleeping around with Crumb when you were with Harry!' 
Even those who had never been a fan of either of them felt the need to share their opinion on the matter. "'We selflessly welcomed you into our world, and this is how you repay us!' "'I always knew mudbloods were filth. It was only a matter of time before everyone else realized it, too. Thank you for proving me right!' The ones that hurt the most, however, came from both. "'You should have died that day at Malfoy Manor. Harry and Ron never needed you anyway. I wish you-know-who had finished you off, or else this wouldn't have happened. You should snap your wand and go back to where you belong, you filthy muggle cunt. Or better yet, stay and I'll finish the job Bellatrix Lestrange started myself.' Muggle and wizarding magazines alike held the same photographs over and over again. Wizarding publications blocked out nearly her entire body, leaving most of it to the imagination. But some of the muggle ones didn't even cover up her breasts. It was an email from someone she went to primary school with that led her to the video. She reported it, but the site didn't take it down. It didn't matter. There were more out there regardless. More messages came through from people she used to know, and she threw away her mobile. Then Kingsley Shacklebolt invited her into his office with a very grim expression. "'I'm sorry, Hermione. Believe me, I am,' he said, and she willed herself not to cry. "'I know you wanted to run for minister one day, but that just isn't a possibility any more. Not after this. I doubt you'd even make department head. Maybe if you were a man, or a pure-blood at that, things would be different. But no one is going to be letting this go any time soon. We hadn't come that far yet.' Hermione quit her job that day, and she kissed the rest of her dreams goodbye. Minerva McGonagall appeared on the doorstep of Grimmauld Place two days later, and gave her a way out of the hole she dug herself into, without ever realizing she was holding the shovel. Harry and Ginny understood that she couldn't stay there any more. They promised to hold on to a few of her belongings that she wouldn't be taking with her, and gave her their love. She didn't see Ron before she left. Harry still wouldn't let him anywhere near her. Venice was warm, and no one knew who she was. Malcolm Adler was charming and didn't ask about the life she'd left behind. He didn't let her lose herself in her work and coerced her into going out. She discovered that Italian wine was much, much better than butterbeer. It was hot, and she couldn't wear what she normally would. Her khakis and cardigans and knee-length skirts hung forgotten at the back of her closet, and she fit in more while wearing a floral dresses and skirts that showed off her legs. Sandals and heels were prettier than sneakers and flats. She grew more confident with the way she looked, and no one eyed her with disdain. Her hair couldn't handle the humidity, and Malcolm's assistant, a witch named Sophia Ricci, taught her how to charm away the frizz. Malcolm told her that just because she was a bookworm didn't mean she wasn't allowed to have fun. Sophia winked and said that knowledge didn't have to be her only kink. Cigarette smoke that filled every patio was surprisingly easy to get used to. Cigarettes after a night out were sobering, Cigarettes in the sunshine with a glass of wine in the other hand were relaxing. Cigarettes on the balcony of Malcolm's office were good for distressing. Sex was also good for distressing. She couldn't figure out the equation, and she'd been at it all afternoon, and the words were starting to blur, and Malcolm told her that she needed to permit herself to let loose more often, and he showed her how. "'It won't mean anything, Hermione,' he said as he kissed his way down her neck and across her collarbone. "'Just sex between friends.' It'll clear your head, you'll see. And it did. She felt, for the first time in her life, that she could do as she pleased. There were no dreams to chase after, no demands to be met, no people to appease. She let herself be happy. She let herself be at ease. Victor was in Italy for a match, and she let herself be at ease with him, too. 
You truly have grown into yourself, Hermione, he told her with a pleased smile. It is a good look for you. And if she and Sophia both wound up in Malcolm's bed at the end of the night after too many drinks, no one had to know. It wasn't anyone's business. Harry and Ginny updated her weekly. She asked them not to tell her about Ron. She didn't want him to ruin what she had now. She didn't want to feel guilty over it. George wrote to tell her that Ron was an idiot and he was sorry for how his family had treated her. They exchanged owls regularly after that. Angelina was there to look after him when he missed Fred the most. She put him at ease. Hermione told him to tell her how he felt and that there was no point feeling guilty about it. Fred would have understood. She was sorry for not being at their wedding. Luna never once mentioned the events that led Hermione to where she was now. She just wrote about her travels and the new creatures she and her good friend Rolf Scamander had happened upon. He understood her, and Hermione was glad she had someone that accepted her for who she was, dottiness and all. Neville said things didn't feel right without her, but that he probably would have left too, so he didn't falter for it. He made sure she knew that he was there if she ever needed him, and they discussed new theories they'd uncovered in Transfiguration and Herbology. He promised not to talk about Ron if she would just keep responding, and he did inform her in one letter that Hannah tried to ban him from the leaky cauldron, but Tom, the landlord, wouldn't allow it. Hermione forgot about the life she left behind for a while. She let herself become accustomed to her new surroundings and absorb the culture. She lived in the moment, and she cherished every second of it. And then she found a way to multiply food so that low-income families wouldn't struggle to put meals on the table. She dreamed about starving while on the run in her seventh year, and Malcolm helped her figure out how to keep that from happening to another witcher wizard ever again. The journalist they'd spoke to from Transfiguration Today informed them that they couldn't put her name on the article if they wanted their work published. Her reputation made her an unsuitable candidate. "'It could be anonymous,' he suggested hopefully, and Hermione shook her head. "'No, Malcolm deserves the recognition,' she said. "'He worked hard on this.' "'You did, too.' said Malcolm with a frown, but he let her remove her name from the study without any further arguments. He made it up to her in bed, but it still stung. There was a celebratory dinner held in her honor when she completed her mastery. Malcolm invited Minerva and Sophia made sure everyone from the lab was there. Hermione didn't know what she'd do now that she didn't have an excuse to stay in Venice. There was nothing holding her there any more. She began to panic, and Malcolm led her outside the restaurant and around to the back, where he pushed her up against the wall and kissed her and pleased her until she forgot what she was worrying about. Making eye contact with Minerva as the headmistress apparated a mere meter away from them made her panic again, but Minerva assured her that she didn't need to worry about a thing. She told her that she was just happy to see her so free. "'But, Hermione, it is time to come home,' she said, and she offered her the transfiguration post at Hogwarts." The wizard she'd previously hired decided he wanted another mastery, that teaching just wasn't for him any more. He'd wanted to learn more. Hermione couldn't blame him, but seeing as that she had very little options left, she supposed working at her old school wouldn't be so bad. She'd be with Neville, and she'd see Harry and Ginny again, and there were no Weasleys at Hogwarts for once. Bill and Fleur's daughter Victoire was only five, Percy and Audrey's daughter Molly was three. Hermione would be safe at Hogwarts. She still wouldn't have to see anyone she didn't want to. Besides, Minerva was right. She'd been gone long enough. Hopefully things had blown over enough that her presence there wouldn't be an issue. Malcolm and Sophia told her to visit whenever, and the three of them spent one last night out that ended between the sheets. No one had to know. She visited Australia before returning to Britain. She'd found her parents living in a bungalow in Melbourne the last time she'd seen them. 
when she'd hunted them down with Harry and Ron two months after the Battle of Hogwarts. The memory charm couldn't be reversed. The only time she'd heard of someone reversing an obliviation was when Voldemort tortured Bertha Jorkins to find out that Barty Crouch was still alive. Obviously, she was not going to resort to that. Monica and Wendell Wilkins were happy. They had retired and spent their time at the beach in exploring new parts of the city. Monica had joined a book club, and Wendell played golf three times a week. Hermione sat at the table next to them at a small Thai restaurant, just so that she could hear their voices again. Monica made Wendell pause on their way out after paying their bill, so that she could compliment Hermione's earrings. Small and chunky gold hoops that had once belonged to a woman named Jean Granger. A woman that didn't exist anymore. Hermione waited until they were gone before crying. Her family was gone. They were okay without her. Better than okay. They were living the life they'd always dreamed of. The family that took her in wanted nothing to do with her. They hated her. She was completely on her own, she realized. Minerva was right. She had to go back. She needed to be near Harry. He was still her family, and she needed more than weekly letters. It was a good thing potters were known for taking in strays. The three dreams Hermione once had for herself were gone. They'd circled the drain and finally vanished from sight. She'd accepted that. Hard work and perseverance wouldn't get her everything. It was foolish to have thought that. She refused to watch yet another dream circle the drain, so she stopped dreaming altogether.